Acts chapter 11. We'll be going verse by verse through the whole chapter tonight. And we'll be talking about why they were called Christians. Now, a lot of sermons have been preached on this very subject, why they were called Christians. I have preached messages on why they were called Christians. And typically, uh, you know, we will talk about what it means to be Christian, following Christ, being like Christ. But actually, there was really a more practical reason, I believe, why they were called Christians that's very apparent when you uh, look at everything as a whole. And that's one thing I love about going verse by verse through an entire book. It just cause, it helps you put the entire book in perspective, and it really opens up a lot. In fact, uh, last week when we were at the Church Planners Conference, um, uh, someone was preaching from Acts chapter 28, and I was reading... I just went and kind of read the last verses and I just kind of had one of these aha moments that I noticed something about that that was very, that I think is very crucial in understanding the whole purpose and the whole point of the book of Acts that I never noticed before. And I wouldn't have realized it, you know, had we not been studying through it the way we are. And so there's so much value in this. There's a lot that we can get from it. And uh, some very important facts that uh, we need to, uh, we want to cover tonight as we go through this chapter. This isn't one of the more uh, deep chapters. There's not a ton of stuff in here, uh, but there are some good things that I want to point out. And I also want to use this chapter two to kind of um, introduce a few things that I think is very important to understand to help you interpret the New Testament and avoid some confusion that people have. So let's go ahead and get started. Verse one, it says, and the apostles and brethren that were in Judea, heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. Chapter 10, that was Cornelius getting saved. That was the first time we see a move amongst the Gentiles. So word gets back to Judea. And it says, When Peter was come to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him, saying, Thou wentest into men uncircumcised and did eat with them. Now, it's real easy for us to look at this thing. Wow, those are terrible guys right here. But, you know, we shouldn't be surprised. This was how things kind of were with the Jews for a very long time. And even though we've been in the New Testament now for years, and even though we've been in the New Testament for 10 chapters now, you know, since the resurrection of Christ, again, I can't stress this enough, there were things that God had not revealed yet. Some things that changed at the cross did not get revealed overnight. Some of these things were revealed over years. And we are now seeing a major revelation starting in chapter 10 that God is going to the Gentiles as well. They are not excluded from the covenant that God promised to Israel. The new covenant that God promised to Israel is not exclusive to Jews. It is also for the Gentiles as well. But they didn't know that at first. And so when he, when Peter first, when they first hear about this, they kind of get in a fight about it. Now we're going to see that after Peter explains things to them, they got it right. They changed their minds. But you know, we shouldn't be surprised that uh, when something like this changed, that people didn't just immediately get on board. It would take some convincing, and they don't have the scriptures like we do yet. None, I mentioned this Sunday night. None of the New Testament had been written at this point. They did not have the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They had the apostles that were able to tell them things, but the apostles don't know everything yet. God's revealing things to them. So this, so this situation here, this is just an example of the Jews acting the way the Jews always did. That's kind of how they were. And so while these ones had accepted Jesus as the Messiah, 
they did not fully understand what all was going to come with the new covenant. Hebrews hasn't been written yet. So they, they don't know these things. And, it, and some things were hard for them to accept at first. And Gentiles being a part of their group, being a part of the same body, that would be a tough pill for them to swallow. That was pro- I, I, I can understand why that was hard for them because there was such a vast difference too culturally between the Jews you know, and the Gentiles, the sinners, the heathen is what they call them. But we see what we're going to, uh, right here in verse 4, Peter basically goes on and he gives them a review of chapter 10. Let's go ahead and read it. But Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning and expounded it by order unto them, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, a certain vessel descend as it had been a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners, and it came even to me, upon the which when I had fastened mine eyes, I considered and saw four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. And I heard a voice saying unto me, Arise, Peter, slay and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean hath at any time entered into my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. And this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. And behold, immediately there were three men already come to the house where I was, sent from Caesarea unto me. And the Spirit made, bade me go with them, nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house. And he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee words, whereby thou and thy house shall be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them, as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. So while the so notice how Peter he goes through that whole story, kind of gives them a review of the last chapter, telling them what happened, and then he and then he mentions something that is not mentioned in chapter ten. How when this takes place, when he saw the Gentiles receive the Holy Ghost, all of a sudden it's like he got a hold of something that Jesus had said. He remembered something about how John baptized with water, but ye should be baptized with the Holy Ghost. And so while the baptism of John was something that had only taken place with the Jews, we see Peter understood that this baptism of the Holy Ghost, it was something that Jesus did and not something that man did. While man, you know, and especially the Jews in their practice, they had a way of, you know, they were always separating people. They would only do certain things with the Jews. But this baptism of the Holy Ghost that had happened to the Jews in Pentecost, it was something that Jesus did. And the same baptism that he did on them at Pentecost, he does on these Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. And it was Jesus that was doing that. So if Jesus is doing the exact same thing with the Gentiles as he's doing with the Jews, then you know what? they should probably be included in all things. Because Peter understood that it was Jesus that made them worthy of this new covenant. It was Jesus that made them worthy of salvation and all the things that come with being a Christian. And you know what? If Jesus did the same thing to the Gentiles, there's no place for putting a separation between us and them. And it's just interesting how he got that from Jesus' statement about being baptized with the Holy Ghost, because I don't think that's the most explicit, you know, verse explaining that. But that was kind of what made the light bulb go off in his mind, and then and he understood it. So, verse seventeen, 
says, for as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? So he's like, I'm just, I'm judging this. I did what I did because I just, I saw what God did in their lives. It was the exact same thing he, he did in our lives. He's like, I'm not going against God in this thing. And I really believe that it, you know, as far as, you know, Peter's instincts went, you know, baptizing Gentiles probably went against his instincts. You know, he probably had to kind of, you know, in, in his mind, he's probably holding his nose a little bit. You know, I'm touching these Gentiles, you know, and, and it, you know, prejudices are hard to get over. You know, it's hard. You know, there's things that we've all prejudices and things we've all had. We've all had to get over, and Peter definitely would have had done this, but it was so clear what God was doing with the Gentiles. Peter, he at least had enough wisdom to say, you know what, who cares how I feel right now? I'm going to do what God's telling me to do. And he did. He baptized them. He did exactly what he was supposed to do. He submitted to God. And so we, all, we, so we need to understand, because again, we saw the Ethiopian eunuch who was baptized, and I get it, he was Ethiopian, but it's clear he was a converted Jew. There's, there's, there's no doubt about that. And I think any of the people that we've seen from other nations or whatever, they were uh, converted Jews. And even, and we'd seen it with the Samaritans, which was, you know, uh, you know, a tough pill for them to swallow too. But it wasn't until it goes to the Gentiles when it's like, man, this is for everybody. And that, that was a big deal. That was a big revelation. So verse 18 says, and when they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God saying, then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. So, again, while it didn't set well with them at first, when they first got word that Peter went and he's hanging out with Gentiles, they, they went after him. But after Peter explained everything to them, they shut their mouths. And then you know what they did? They accepted it. Sure enough, Gentiles are a part of this too. And it's great to see that submission that they had to the Word of God. Because, again... They didn't feel like including them, but they did it anyway. And you know what? I get it. You know, we've got a different situation now, but Baptist churches can get to where, you know, we can become so Baptist culturally where everyone's saved, everyone's living for the Lord, everyone's got standards, everyone's doing all the things that Baptists do, that whenever new people come in, you know, new converts or people that maybe don't have the same background, we can get all high and mighty with them. And want to kind of put a separation between us and them. And you know what? There's no place for that in a church. Again, we're going to receive people who are weak in the faith, but not the doubtful disputation. As long as they're not trying to stir things up, as long as they're not trying to cause problems, we need to put up with new believers that have a lot of issues and have a lot of problems. That is a responsibility that we have as a Christian. And it will. You know, if you're, you know, you grew up Baptist, you've been Baptist, or even if you've been Baptist for a long time, you can get a really snotty attitude because we're made out of the same flesh that they were and so it, it can be real easy for us to fall into some of these same traps but it's not right so verse 19 says now when now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about stephen traveled as far as phoenice and cyprus and antioch preaching the word to none but unto the jews only so this is what they had been doing up to this point. Now, again, I don't know how many years this has been. I do know years have passed. And this is what they did at the beginning. 
Okay? And they were doing it this way because they just didn't know yet. God does not just reveal things like that. It's, you know, we often see these changes and revelations at the turn of a page in our Bible, but sometimes you can have one chapter in the Bible that can cover a lot of years. So these things were revealed over time, and it's just a fact that, yes, they were preaching none but to the Jews only. Now, something I want to do right now, too, because this is going to help us as we go through the book of Acts. I think it's very important for us, and it's very helpful if we understand the timeline or the chronology of the books of the Bible in the New Testament. I think, I think it's important we understand that. And so where we are at right now, currently, no books of the Bible of the New Testament have been written. None. Now, it's possible that we could put the book of James right here around this time era when they just started going to the Gentiles. It's very possible we, we can do that. I don't know this for sure. And I'm going to be kind of giving you some facts tonight about timelines of things. And these are based off of other people's studies. They could be right. They could be wrong. Uh, I don't know for sure. Okay, I'm not, uh, but uh, I do think there's some credibility uh, to the timelines that people have put together. I think uh, some of the stuff's based on history. But, but either way, I'm going to show you kind of a progression that we see uh, as we go look at a subject chronologically in the New Testament that I, that I think is very interesting. But I want to point this out about the book of James because people will often refer to James as being the first of what they call the tribulation epistles or they'll even call them Jewish epistles. That the, like James through Revelation is kind of to the Jews. And that's just dumb. Okay, and, and by doing that, they're like, you know, that's, if you rightly divide dispensational, this is just the hyper-dispensationalist, but you know, that's not really for us as New Testament believers. That is, that's pure garbage. Now, the verse that they use to prove that is James 1.1, 1, 1, where it says, James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. James is writing to the twelve tribes of Israel. You're not of the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, let me ask you, why did James, why was he only writing to the 12 tribes of Israel? Well, there's two possible reasons, okay? Now, first off, which James was this? Now, I don't know for sure. I think it's probably James the, uh, the Less or James the son of Alphaeus. I think that's probably who it is. But if it's James the brother of John, then this would have had to been written around this time because in chapter 12, the next chapter, James, the brother of John, gets killed. So we know he wrote the book before he died. Okay, so, so the thing is, if it's James, the brother of John, the reason he wrote to the 12 tribes of Israel is because that's all that they were going to during that time. So guess what? That does nothing for your dispensationalism. Nothing. You know, and, and you know, that, or that's, that doesn't prove that this is for Jews and not for the church. Because if it was written by James, the brother of John, it was written before they understood that we can go to the Gentiles too. But what if it was the other James? Well, if it was the other James, look at what it says in um, Acts, or no, turn over to Galatians. All right, yeah, turn over to Galatians. Because in chapter 12, it says in verse 1, Now at that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church, and he killed James the brother of John 
with the sword. So if it's so, you know that we know if it was him it had have already been written. But if it was written by James or the other James, then it would make sense because James in Galatians. We're not going to turn there yet. I, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm going to show you James was specifically commissioned to go to the Jews. He was specifically commissioned to go to the circumcision. That was his job. The Bible specifically mentions that. So that's why he's writing to the 12 tribes. Because they sent, they sent Paul to the Gentiles and Peter and James and John. They went to the Jews. So that's why. It doesn't mean that there's a different message or there's something special that's for them that we're not included in. So that's absolutely ridiculous. So it... Um, so to claim that the book of James isn't written for us because it's written to Jews, it would be like saying the book of Romans is not for us because it was written to Romans. It's the exact same thing. Exact same thing. So don't ever fall for that. So verse 20 of Acts chapter 11 says, And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. And right here what we're seeing is the beginning of a major shift where that would take place where the Gentiles would end up becoming the majority of this new sect of Judaism. This is when we start seeing the multitudes of Gentiles start getting saved. And this was something that the Jews did not see coming. This was something that the apostles did not see coming. Now, it was something that God saw coming. And when after it happened, after the fact, guys like the apostle Paul, he went back and he took a look at the Old Testament and said, sure enough, this is exactly what God said was coming. And in Acts, or, uh, Romans chapter 9, verse 30 says, what should we say then? That the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in sign a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed." The, the Apostle Paul, he was burdened for Israel. He was sad that Israel would not receive Jesus as the Messiah, that they would not get saved. He was heartbroken over that. But you know what? He got a hold of the fact that, you know what? Let's go back and look at the Old Testament. Abraham had two sons. Yeah, God did make a promise to Abraham. But Abraham had two sons. He had one of a bondwoman. He had one of a free woman. He had one of the flesh. He had one of the spirit. I love the ones that are of the flesh because they're my people. That's where I come from. But they have no faith. Therefore, they are of Ishmael. They have no faith. Therefore, they are of Esau. The promises are to those who are of Isaac. And in Galatians 4, it said, We, brethren, as Isaac, we are the children of the promise. Paul got a hold of that after the fact. But in Acts chapter 11, they don't know this yet. They don't understand this. But by the time we get to Romans, several years have passed. We're going to get in the timeline here in a little bit. And Paul understands all of that. And so at this point in Romans, they've seen thousands and thousands of Gentiles saved while the Jews are just persecuting them, are nonstop attacking, nonstop persecuting them. 
This was heartbreaking for them because they wanted them to be saved. But you know what? Thankfully, they kept going to those Gentiles. They kept fighting them and they did. They did a great work. And so the national changes that the apostles had hoped to see that they, they were preaching for. I, we showed early in the book of Acts. They were not just preaching personal repentance, but they were preaching national repentance and it didn't happen. And so when they go and they start preaching to the Gentiles, it's only personal repentance because these other nations didn't kill the Lord. The other nations weren't guilty of the blood of Jesus like Israel was, but every one of those people they talked to, they were definitely guilty of sin against God and they needed personal salvation. And so we do see you know, slight differences in the content of the message because they're not preaching national repentance to places like Rome. They're preaching personal repentance and they're seeing great things. What they wanted to see in Israel, they weren't seeing it there, but they're seeing it in places like Antioch. They're seeing it in all these other cities. So in verse 24, talking about Barnabas, who had uh, gone there and exhorted them all. Every time you see Barnabas, he's encouraging somebody. Every, every time, pretty much every time. It says, For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. So after they start seeing thousands saved, they spend a year at Antioch, Paul and Silas, or uh, Barnabas, and they're, they're teaching these people. They're training these people. And while they're in Antioch, all of a sudden something happens that never happened before. They get a new name. They start calling them Christians. Now, a few important facts to take note of. It does seem that Antioch kind of becomes a central location for the apostles after they were kind of run out of Jerusalem. And you know, what's interesting too, whenever you hear about the Bible translation debates and stuff, they'll always talk about how the King James Bible, they were written from the manuscript, it was translated from the manuscripts that were in Antioch, which is a place where the apostles hung out, where the apostle Paul spent a lot of time, where they were first called Christians versus the Alexandrian scripts that was out of Egypt. And, uh, you know, and there's, Big differences in those things. And I do. I think Antioch, it kind of became a very important city. And uh, where before, they wanted to focus on Jerusalem. I think if the apostles would have had their choice, if they'd have had a headquarters, it had been in Jerusalem. They loved that city. They had a connection to that city that went way back. But you know what? They weren't welcome in that city. It was dangerous in that city most of the time for them. So Antioch did seem to become... Uh, a very key place for the Christians. We see the Apostle Paul spent a lot of time in Antioch. And so they're called Christians there first. The Bible mentions that. Now, everybody knows that fact. You ask anybody why were they or where were they first called Christians, everybody knows it was in Antioch. But think about this. Up to this point, we've been talking about this over and over again, the followers of Christ were seen as another sect of Judaism. Again, Peter still thought he was a Jew. Because he doesn't want to eat unclean animals. Jews don't do that. These other saved Jews, when Peter goes to the Gentiles, they're like, what are you doing hanging out with those Gentiles? Why did they do that? You know why? Because in their mind, we're still Jews. They don't understand all the things that have changed yet. But now we have multitudes of Greeks, multitudes of Gentiles getting saved. It's not really going to work to call themselves Jews anymore, is it? 
you know, whenever people are referring to them, they're not going to call they're not going to call them Jews because wait a minute, this isn't just one nation anymore. This isn't just people from one family or one ethnicity. They got people from all over the place. So to call them Jews or anything related to Jews would have been very confusing. So what did they do? Well, you know, we don't have a family line that we can put them all in. But you know what? They actually kind of did because they were all in the family of Jesus Christ. They were all... And so that was a great name to call them. And, you know, who called them that? You know, you hear people say it was a derogatory term. And I don't, you know, I don't know where that comes from. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't, that, that could be true. That might be based on history. You know, but either way, whether they came up with it themselves, whether it was what the people called them, it was a great name to call a group of people that have no common ancestry, that have no common family. It was a great name because actually they do because they are all in Christ. And so... Uh, that's why they were called Christians there first, because it was then the Gentiles started coming in. And so they've got to, they, they can't call them Jews anymore. That would be too confusing. That would be too misleading. So I think that, I think right there is the main reason we see that happen in this chapter because of the multitude of Gentiles coming in. And Jews would have been very offended if you've got all these Greeks who are not circumcised you know, calling themselves Jews. You know, that would have been very offensive to the Jews and would have thrown off a lot of people because, you know, to be a Jew, it meant something for a long time. And so now here's where I want to show you something that I think is very interesting because in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11, it refers to the Jews specifically as the circumcision. Now, I want us to look at that word because uh, one of the reasons they were referring to them as the circumcision is because there was a difference in their flesh that distinguished them from the Gentiles. That was something that God had commanded, something God had gave Abraham that they had been doing. But the circumcision was a word used to describe Jews because there was a fleshly difference with them. Not in how they were born, but in something that they did to themselves as a part of their covenant with God, where the Gentiles didn't do that. And we're going to see later, too, a lot of Jews that were saved thought, no, you still have to get circumcised. And the Gentiles, like, got all freaked out. Like, we don't want to do that. And then, you know, they went and had a council to figure out, are we going to make these Gentiles all get circumcised? And then they're like, nope, that's wrong. That's stupid. Let's, they looked at the scriptures. And then they went back and comforted the people and they were glad to hear it. And we'll, we'll get to that chapter here in a little bit. But um, in Acts chapter 10, now, again, um, I'm citing history, um, commentaries and things. So, you know, this isn't, solid Bible, what I'm telling you, but I do think there's a lot of credibility to it, while the accuracy might not be perfect. But according to the chronologies and timelines, uh, when we are here in Acts chapter 10 and 11, it's AD 41. So we're more than 10 years past the resurrection of Christ before they realize, hey, this is for the Gentiles too, before that's, before that's fully understood. So what we're seeing in Acts 10 and uh, 45... It says, and they of the circumcision, which believed, were astonished. And as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. This is eighty forty one in Acts chapter 11, verse 2. And when Peter was come to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him, saying, 
Thou wentest into men uncircumcised and did eat with them. Now turn over to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. This was the verse I was referring to earlier where we see James. He was commissioned to go to the circumcision. Now, uh, the book of Galatians was written in roughly 57 or 58 AD. So almost 20 years or almost 30 years after the resurrection of Christ. So this is uh, Acts 10 is AD 41. Galatians is written. So 16, 17 years later. Now, in Galatians 2, in verse 7, it's referring back to an event we're going to see later in the book of Acts that was around AD 50, okay? Nine years after the gospel goes to the Gentiles, okay? Nine years. It's important we understand how much time has passed. A lot of things are happening. A lot's going on. And it says in Galatians 2, 7, but contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, and the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. So again, nine years after where we're at in the book of Acts, that is when we see Paul commissioned to go to the Gentiles by the church. Peter, James, and John go to the circumcision. So another good reason for why James is probably written to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. It was his responsibility to go find all those people who were all over the world still preaching the law of Moses to let them know that the Messiah had come. Now, that was his job. Does not teach this hyper-dispensational foolishness. But in 57 and 58 A.D., when Paul wrote Galatians 2, he's referring to the circumcision being the Jews, uncircumcision, the Gentiles. In Romans chapter 2, it, um, this is about AD 57 as well. And it says in 225, for, the circumc for circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not the uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law? For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is out of the heart, in the spirit, and in, not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God." You know what we're seeing right here in the Bible? We're seeing a progression. As time goes on, as the church learns more, we're seeing almost a hostility from Paul. And Paul was not anti-Semitic. He loved the Jews a lot. He wished himself were a curse. But we almost see kind of a hostility in how he is when he's referring to the circumcision. At first, it was just a matter of statement, a matter of fact. There's circumcision, uncircumcision. But now... Here we are in Romans chapter 2, and he's just like, you know what? If they're breaking any other part of the law, then technically they're uncircumcised because they're lawbreakers. In fact, technically, if they don't have the circumcision of the heart, they're not even Jews. And in reality, those of us who do have the circumcision of the heart, we're the Jews. You say, well, you know, that's not what we're seeing. Yeah, because they didn't understand these things before. 
And what, we, what we're seeing too, you hear you know, dispensationalists a lot of times, they'll go to the book of Acts and they'll see things that they're doing and things that they said, and then they'll state them as like facts for today. But no, there were things they didn't understand yet. What we're supposed to be getting from the book of Acts, it's, it's history. It's explaining what happened and people are making, you know, find, you know, they're taking doctrinal certainties from just statements in the Bible of what just happened. And sometimes they made mistakes. Sometimes they did things wrong. Sometimes there was things they just didn't understand. That is wrong. You know what we should do? We should focus on what is stated clearly in the epistles years after these events that we're seeing in the book of Acts when they had full understanding of these things. You know, let's, let's go to when they, you know, if I, if I want to know what to think, I'm not going to go focus on scriptures where they didn't know what was going on yet. I'm going to go to the scriptures after God has fully revealed it to them. And then they are writing, explaining those things, which is what we have in the book and in, in, in Paul's epistles. Now look at first Corinthians. This was also written around 57 AD in chapter seven in verse 18. It says, is any man called being uncircumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Is any called an uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Look what he says here. Circumcision is nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing. But the keeping of the commandments of God, let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Now, look, when you're reading early on in the book of Acts, the circumcision kind of seems like something. And in fact, it was a big issue. And they did. They had to have a big argument in the church about whether or not this matters because they didn't understand yet. We're going to see later in the book of Acts. They got to the bottom of it and it's like, you know what? It doesn't matter. Why are we going to put a burden on them? Because we couldn't keep the law and they're not going to be able to either. So we're not going to put this burden of the circumcision on them. And But when we're reading 1 Corinthians, we are years later. They fully understand it. And at this point, they've gotten a hold of the fact and Paul's saying, it's nothing. Not worried about it. It's, it's absolutely nothing. If you're, if you're circumcised, great. Don't tr- you can't change that. You know, don't, don't try to fix it. And if you're uncircumcised, you know, don't get circumcised. Don't worry about it. You know, just abide in the calling where you're at because God doesn't care about those things. Those things are nothing. Now look at Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, this one's written around AD 61. 30 years after the resurrection of Christ. So we're getting a little bit later and it says, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So here we are 30 years later and he's like, you know what? Yeah, listen, I, I understand what the law says about circumcision. Let me, let me just let you all know, you're covered. You know why? Because you have the circumcision of Christ. Just like people who are saved, who haven't been baptized in water, they're okay because they've received the baptism from Christ. That's the important thing. And it's like that with all works of the law. Anything necessary for us to be saved, any work necessary for us to be saved, okay, we find that work not in our body or in anything we do, we find it in Jesus Christ. Any uh, any ceremony, any sacrifice, we find it in Christ. When it comes to the Passover, Christ is our Passover. He is all those things. So, uh, uh, turn, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, and verse 11, this is AD 63. It says, Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, look what he said, who were called uncircumcision 
by that which is called circumcision in the flesh, made by hands. That at the time ye are without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. He said, you used to be called uncircumcision by those who are of the circumcision. And you know what? Paul was one of those people that would have done that at one time. But you know what? He's not doing it anymore. You know why? Because a lot of time has passed and God has made it crystal clear the truth about these things. And so they, they get it now. They, they get it now. It's really important to understand how much later Paul's epistles were written than these events we're seeing in the book of Acts. It helps us really understand uh, you know, why there might be some things that aren't as clear in the book of Acts, because God is revealing these things. And the book of Acts is recording that for us, but people are just too lazy to take the time to pay attention to what's going on, follow the timeline, compare these uh, things with the epistles of Paul. Uh, they're not doing that. Um, Philippians chapter 3, this was written in AD 63. And it says, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I am more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews, is touching the law of Pharisee. And he goes on talking about himself a little bit. But he's like, listen, if somebody's going to be confident in their flesh, I could be that. But you know what? Who cares? And, and he, he's taking the rhetoric more extreme as time goes on because it's becoming more and more clear. And at this point in 64 AD, He's just like, we're the circumcision, ladies and gentlemen. We are the circumcision. Now, I'm going to show you this too, because this is also very important to understand. Because dispensationalists are really good at playing tricks in this area and really messing people up. Now, uh, Titus, turn over to Titus chapter 1 and verse 10. This is AD 64. This is the latest uh, writing where we see this term used for the Jews, referring to them as the circumcision. But it says in Titus 1.10, for there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. So, you know, in, or in Philippians, he's saying we're the circumcision. But here in Titus, he's saying they're the circumcision. Okay? Now, now, what's going on? Now, what the dispensations like to do, they love to go somewhere in the Bible and define a word for you and then act like that's the definition everywhere in the Bible. We've watched them do it with repentance over and over again. They will show you a place in the Bible where repentance is repenting of sin. And therefore, repentance is always repenting of sin, no matter what. Okay? And we understand how wrong that is because the word repentance can be used in many different ways. And so one thing that we see um, in the Bible, too, is, you know, even though technically we are the circumcision and the Jews that sometimes, sometimes the Bible goes along with the earthly references. Sometimes it's they're talking about the earthly things. Sometimes they're talking about the spiritual things. You have to look at why they're calling them that. You have to look at what he's trying to explain. And so when he's trying to explain the spiritual fulfillment of the law, you know what he does? He says, we're the circumcision. We're the Jews. We're of Israel. We're the Israel of God. But sometimes... They're referring to the physical. And when they're referring to the physical, they'll call them Israel. They'll call them the Jews. They'll call them the circumcision. But what you always have, to, what you can't do is just take one definition 
one aspect of it and act like that's what it is every time you see it in the Bible. It's used in many different ways. And context is very, very important. And so you're never going to see a fully consistent use of these terms because the writers were often referring to different aspects of these terms. And those terms, you know, were also used many times during a time when certain things had not been revealed yet. So uh, don't let people throw you when they go. And they always have that one exception somewhere where the words used a little bit different. And, but they'll, they'll try to act like it's that way all the time, whatever fits their agenda. So you can't always go to the Bible or, or to a Bible word or a title or a term, give it a definition in one spot, and then use that definition for the entire Bible. If you do that, that that's, just, that's very dishonest. And that's going to be very deceiving. And so that's what, but that's typically what people do. And so it's very interesting too. And I've, I've thought about preaching on this before and I've just never gotten around to it. But it is very interesting when you watch the progression in how the apostles talked about the Jews in the Bible. Because you want to know what some of the later books are? How about 1 John? That was written much later than these. And you know what John was calling them by that time? You know, let a couple more decades pass? They're antichrists. You know, and then by the latest book of the Bible that we have, you know what he says? Synagogue of Satan. You know, what, what's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. There was a falling away. Okay? There, the Jews who rejected the Messiah apostatized. And so at first, we see this plea for them to get saved. We see this love for them and this, and this desire and this hope that they will be saved and that they will turn to the Lord. But they came to a point where the Jews started persecuting and killing the church. And when that, when that happened, all of a sudden, you know, you start, people start killing you. You start not liking them as much. And then you start figuring out that, hey, they're not going to get saved. And then as time goes on, because of the fact that they've rejected Christ, when people reject Christ, when they full on reject Christ, typically what happens is they go deeper and deeper into heresy and wickedness. And so as time went on, they kept getting more and more wicked. They, you know why? Because when they rejected the Messiah, they weren't just going to stay where they were at spiritually, doctrinally, and all that. You know what's going to happen now that they've rejected? They're kind of given over to all kinds of wickedness. They're going to be given over to all kinds of heresies. And so what do we see happen? We see them getting more and more wicked. And as time goes on, the apostles, they're getting meaner and meaner and meaner. And... That's why it does. It ends with them being called the synagogue of Satan. And that is a very interesting thing when you look at the Bible chronology, watching how that changes. And when you pay attention from the book of Acts to what was going on during that time. Because, you know, think about it. If you're the Apostle Paul and, you know, again, you know, he, he loves the Jews. But you go to Thessalonica and you get a bunch of people saved. And... Then all of a sudden, the Jews stop everything. They start persecuting you. They run you out of town. You're not going to think as highly of them as you were before. And then you go to Berea. And then, you know, you got a great work going there. These people are actually listening a whole lot better. But then the Jews follow them over there to Berea, start persecuting them there, causing all kinds of trouble. You know, after he got whipped a few times, after he gets you know, beaten, all these things that were happening to him, you know what you might do? 
when you're writing to the Thessalonians, you might say, they please not our Lord, they're contrary to all men, and the wrath has come on them to the uttermost. You know, isn't it interesting when you actually go to the epistles and you line it up with what's going on in the Bible, you can just understand why they said the things that they said. But then, ignorant, I don't know if they're ignorant or they're just deceiving people, and you know, depending that they're, you know, on the fact that their audience is probably ignorant, they'll just go to one verse, one place in the Bible where it says something a certain way, and then act like that's just the fact for all time. Did you not see what was going on in the book of Acts? And, and let me just, you know, give, you know, I'm, I'm just going to do a little spoiler right here for what we're about to see in the book of Acts. What the book of Acts is ultimately about is it's, it's ultimately about how the gospel ended up going to the Gentiles. That's, that's pretty much what it's about. It's showing this covenant that God gave to Israel that was made for Israel, that pertained to them. It was, it was made for them, how they rejected it and how the Gentiles received it. And, you know, and go ahead and, and turn to the last chapter. Turn to the last chapter because I'm almost done here, but I, I want to point this out. It says in verse 30, And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence and no man forbidding. You know, I, I did one verse too soon, uh, late. Uh, verse 20, Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles and that they will hear it. You know what we see happening here in Acts chapter 28? It says, or in verse 29 too, and when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had great reason among themselves. It's, it's like here in chapter 28, we have the full manifestation of what God was doing with His Word and with the Gospel. And we're seeing kind of basically the Jews. You had your chance, folks. You're under the judgment of God. And you just see it ending, basically showing how many Gentiles got, not only did they get saved, but they're going to get saved. And in reality, when you look at chapter 28, it's not really concluded, is it? It's not really, you know why? Because we're still, we're still a part of that story. We're in Acts chapter 28 right now, where the gospel's still going to the Gentiles. People are being saved all over the world. And you know what is happening with the Jews? Pretty much nothing. Okay? Now, we have the book of Revelation where it shows what's, what's coming next. And you know what? We're going to wrap this thing up. We're going to be out of here. And then they're going to get it. Big time. Now, that's, what, that's what we see. And so we'll say more about that when we get later in the book of Acts. But I just think this is interesting, the way we see this progression. And so verse 27, it says, And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus and signified by the Spirit that there should be a great dearth throughout all the world which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. And this is interesting too because there are several references in Paul's epistles about him taking up a collection for the poor saints that were in Jerusalem. And so when you're reading the Paul's epistles, 
you understand there were four saints in Jerusalem, but you know we don't really understand what all was going on. At what's what's interesting, and you, you this is something you just kind of catch, putting things together, you know, from different facts that are just kind of mentioned. But this is what's interesting. People love to talk about the Jews and how blessed they are, and everywhere they go, the land blooms and all that kind of stuff. After they ran the ran the Christians out of Jerusalem, guess what? A great dearth came. Things weren't going so well there anymore. And you know, when we're reading the book of Acts, we don't see much going on in Jerusalem. Not a lot of good things happening there. It was so it got so bad in there where they did Paul and Barnabas. They're, they're taking up collections so they can go back and help the saints, the saved in Jerusalem. Not the Jews, okay? The saved. And preachers today are still teaching that we should be helping the Jews like Paul did. And because, you know, we've, we've received their spiritual things, so they should reap our carnal things. It was for the saved <laughs> Jews. It was with the saved Jews. And they're literally teaching that in churches all over. And people are like, oh man. And they're pulling out their checkbooks and writing checks to go buy bulletproof vests and guns and stuff for Jews. So they can shoot Muslims. But we're the bad ones, right? You know, we're the anti-Semitic people and all that. That's absolutely absolutely ridiculous. Uh, And it blows my mind. But there are... So this chapter is a reminder of the importance of understanding the timeline of the Bible. And the more we understand what was going on, you know, in those those days, the you know, the more clear certain passages in Paul's epistles are going to they're going to make a lot more sense. And so the, this name change that we see take place, it makes so much sense when you understand what God had been doing for the last year. He's saving all these Gentiles. We can't call them Jews anymore. And so what do they 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 started calling them Christians? And what an appropriate term! That was, and we still use that today, and as as we should. And so, Acts chapter eleven, a very interesting chapter. And so, all always be paying attention as we're reading through this, where we are in the timeline, what's going on, what they understood. That is how you have a real understanding of the biblical use of the word dispensation. It's always important to understand what had been distributed to them during this time. And when you understand that, that'll help you know how to interpret certain passages. And we're going to see a few more things, too, that often are puzzling to people where they do some kind of Jewish stuff that's like, well, we shouldn't be doing that. But let's look at it in a dispensational light, in a true dispensational light. God hadn't revealed this yet. So we're going to give them a pass. But you go do that. Hey, we've got, we've got Paul's epistles that he wrote decades later. So we, know, we now know better, so you don't get a pass if you do it. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this uh, wonderful chapter. And Lord, we're just, I'm thankful to still be a part of what's going on in the book of Acts. Lord, that, that story is not done, and we're thankful that you're still doing a work. We're thankful you're still saving people. And uh, we're thankful that you saved us, and I pray you'll help us to continue doing great works uh, like our, our fathers did uh, way, way back then. In your name we pray. Amen.